for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ant. I'm going to be preaching this morning. And um, we are doing a series called, if you're visiting, just to give you a context, we're doing a series called Living Hope. And this really is to try and help us understand how we can live well when things are difficult. And I was just reflecting this morning, um, those amazing young women last night who played in the final of the tennis. Did you watch anyone? What an amazing thing. An 18-year-old, a 19-year-old young woman creaming that ball is like just in an amazing way and so confidently just, yeah, trying to defeat each other. It was absolutely amazing. And um, I was just thinking, 20 years ago, Emma was not even born. Isn't that amazing? It's like a whole new generation of people that uh, are coming into profile in all sorts of different ways. And I was just thinking about the context of this letter and um, uh, what Peter's trying to do is to encourage people. And I was thinking back of uh, the last 20 years. 20 years ago, we had just planted this church. Uh, 20 years ago, 9-11 happened and changed the context of everything that's happened in the last 20 years. Uh, since that day, we've experienced tsunamis. We've experienced the real, real effects of global warming in multiple ways. We've experienced floods, fires, disasters. Uh, SARS emerged in the last 20 years, and now, of course, COVID is something that's been a reality for the last 20 years as well. So I'll put it to you that we do live in difficult times. And Peter has a lot to say to us about how we can learn to live well when things are difficult. And so that's really why we're doing this series, and that's the context for those of you that are visiting. And so we're in part seven. We're looking at the le- uh, 1 Peter 1, and I'm going to read five verses. This morning, I'm going to address the first two or three this week, and then we will look at the next three next week. But he- here it goes. Uh, if you're following in your Bible, or it should come up on the screen. 1 Peter 1 verse 20, speaking of Jesus, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him, you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have been purified, have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, I love this part, Love each other deeply from the heart. If only we could get that right, eh? The world would be a different place. Love each other deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So my, my motivation this morning is simple. I want to encourage you, right? I want to do my best to encourage you. Now remember the context of Peter's letter. It was written about 60 years after the death of Jesus. And right from the start of the letter, just reflecting back on what we've looked at already. Remember, he's writing into a context where the early Christians were experiencing trials. They were experiencing really difficult things. They were getting persecuted, and his, 
his, the context of the letter says, actually, these things that you're experiencing, don't be surprised because they're going to get worse. And so this is the context that Peter is encouraging them in. And so we looked, for example, at verse 6 in chapter 1, which simply says, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer all kinds of grief and trial. And I said to you before, it's often the Bible it's not so clear on what a little while is. Sometimes a little while feels like a long while, but the Bible never quite tells us how long a little while is. But Peter writing and saying, you might suffer some things for a little while, but don't, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. And then in chapter 3, in verse 14, he says it again. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We have a reason for our hope. We have a living hope. And that's why we are confident that we can face the future, whatever it holds, because we have a living hope, the resurrected Jesus. That's what Peter's trying to get us to see. And then lastly, in chapter 4, verse 12, again, he kind of reinforces this, this thought, and he says, My dear friends, do not be surprised when the fiery ordeal has come upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you might be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. And so my encouragement to you right at the beginning is when we see these things happening in the world, where we see all the, the kind of things that we are facing internationally and as a nation, let's not be surprised. God is with us. It's not strange things that are happening. These things, Jesus has said through His Word to us, these things are going to be happening. And so let's encourage one another in the living Lord Jesus. And so with that, with that in mind, I want to read, I want to just reflect a little bit on the verses that we read this morning. Remember, Peter is now, after this introduction, Peter's now trying to encourage people and say, I want to motivate you to live a holy life in the midst of all this trial that you're going through, all these difficult things. Let me motivate you to live a holy life. And he starts by simply appealing, first of all, to the character of God. Remember, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. The, the encouragement from Scripture is, be holy because I am holy. So Peter's first motivation in terms of why we should live a holy life, how we should live a holy life, he simply appeals to the character of God and says, be like Him. He is holy, therefore you do all that you can by the power of the Spirit to live a holy life. The second Motivation that we looked at, that Peter gives, and I said this last week, he says, remember, God is an impartial judge, and He's fair in every way, and on that day when we appear before Him to receive our reward, each of us will get a reward according to the works that we have done on this earth. So he's not talking about faith, he's not talking about being saved, but he's saying there's a reward that is laid up for you, a treasure that is laid up for you in heaven according to how you have lived on this earth. And so keep your eye on that. That's a motivation to, be a, to live a holy life, is that there's a reward one day for you in heaven, and you want to receive the full reward. And remember, we looked at Corinthians, which says, some will be saved as if through fire, that everything in our lives that is not godly will be burned up, so that only what is pure on that day will remain, and we'll receive this pure, pure reward in heaven when we appear before Him. And He says, well done good 
and faithful servant. That's the second motivation that, um, that Paul, uh, Peter gives. And thirdly, we looked at this last week as well. He, he motivates us and he says, remember, it's the blood of Jesus that's been shed onto your life that releases you from the futile, empty things that you've inherited from your family and from your ancestors. So he says, remember, there's some things that you've inherited from your culture, from your background, that are empty and useless and don't help you in the kingdom. And those things we have to learn to throw off because they stop us moving into the, the call that God has for our lives and the call of His kingdom, which is above all. And so it's quite a thing to contemplate in, in your own life personally. What are the things that I've inherited in my family, in my, from my ethnicity, from my nationality, that are unhelpful for the kingdom? And then those things, I must do all that I can to throw them off so that they don't stop me from entering into the fullness of what God has for me. Amen? So there's some good things that we inherit, but there are some things that are empty and futile. And Peter says, throw those off. And then he focuses in the verses we're reading this morning, he focuses a little bit further in terms of what that means. And he says this, first of all, you notice, he reminds you that your personal salvation is part of God's eternal plan for the whole world. You notice that? He says, he was chosen before the creation of the world and was revealed in these last times for your sake. And I want to start there this morning because I've, I've said this before. Too much of our lives is individualistic. Part of our Western culture is that we only, we, we only see things in terms of how it affects me personally. We live in an incredibly individualistic culture in the West. And sometimes we can see salvation just in a personal way. God has saved me. My sins are forgiven. I have been set free, and we see it in a very personal way. And of course, it is a personal thing. But what Peter is reminding them is that it's not just about personal forgiveness. It's not just about our lives being pleasing to God personally. It's that that fits into the context of all of God's plan for all of history and all of humanity. You are part of God's salvation story, which He put into place before the world was even created. That's an amazing thing to contemplate, that my life fits in and your life fits into God's plan that He predestined before He even created the world. And we read in these verses this morning that He even says He had already been foreknowing that Jesus would be the one who would come to save us before the world was even created. And now it's been revealed to you now, for your sake, right now. Isn't that incredible? Before the foundation of the world God's heart was towards you, He loved you, He had a plan for your redemption, and he, had no, he was already working towards that plan before anything had even been thought of. Millions of years ago, He was already putting these things into place. And Peter reminds us, he says, remember that, you are part of God's plan for the whole world. Um, secondly, Peter says in verse 21 that it was Jesus that he was sent to bring us to God our Father. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your hope and your faith are in God. So he has the gospel. He has the Christian message. We believe in Jesus by faith. And it's through faith in Jesus 
that we get to know God as our Father. All right? I could put it another way. We could not have any relationship with God as our Father if we had not been brought to God our Father through Jesus. That's the gospel. There is, we cannot, we need a mediator to get to God our Father. That mediator is Jesus. We do not need a mediator between us and Jesus. We go directly to Him. But it is Jesus that takes us and enables us to know God as our Father. Why do I say that? Well, simply, Jesus said that in John chapter 14. And you know the Scripture well. In verse 6, He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's lots of people that um, talk about spirituality, that talk about worship, that talk about how we can know God. The Christian message, the gospel message is this. It's not through your good works. It's not through living morally. It's not through trying hard. None of that gets to enable you to know God as your Father. The only thing that enables you to know God as your Father is that you put your faith in His Son. And as you put your faith in His Son, you get to know God as your Father. It's beautiful. That's how it works. We need a mediator. The mediator is Jesus. But we don't need anything else between us and Him. We come confidently to Jesus by faith, and we are saved. We believe in our hearts and that pleases God, and He sees His Son on our lives, and we can know Him as Father. Through Him you believe, says Peter. Thirdly, Peter says that it's God who put Jesus in a position where He can minister to us. Verse 21, God raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. Well, what does that mean? In other words, it means that God has raised Jesus to the position where He can be our Savior, but not only that, it's, He's raised Him into a position where He intercedes for us. He is praying for us right now at the right hand of the Father in glory and praying for our lives. And it also means this, that we can, it should be incredibly encouraging, and this is what Peter's trying to say, the fact that that is true should encourage you because it makes, you, it makes it possible for you and I to live a holy life. Why? Because we don't do it in our own strength. We draw on the resurrection power of Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and has raised Him to the right hand of the Father. That same power enables us to live a godly life now by the Spirit where we can say no to some things because they're not good for us and we can say yes to other things because they are good for us and we can learn to, learn, learn to walk in the power of the Spirit and live in the power of the Spirit. That's what it means to live a holy life. Amen. That's how we live. Not by our own strength, not by trying really hard, but by resting in what God has done on the cross and allowing the Holy Spirit inside of us to transform us, to transform our motivations and the reasons why we do things and to cleanse us day by day, moment by moment by the power of His Spirit. And the life on the inside of your heart begins to permeate out and it changes your out outward behavior. That's what it means. That's the gospel. Live from the inside out. A changed heart that changes everything else. That's the gospel. This is the good news. And Jesus makes that possible because he has been raised by God his Father and now intercedes for us at the right hand. It also means this. 
Do you notice Peter said that God has given Jesus glory? What does that mean? It means he has glory over the entire cosmos. He rules the entire universe. Jesus has all honor and glory. And from that position of reigning over the entire universe, he moves us and motivates us as God's people for his will in our lives. Isn't that an incredible thought? Jesus is willing you on for what God has planned for you. He is praying for you that you would move into the fullness of what God has for you right now in this time of your life. He wants you to enjoy the full will of God for your life, and he's praying, um, he's praying for that. And there's no circumstance. There's no d- demonic power. There's nothing, says Paul in Romans, that can separate us from the love of God. And that also means that nothing can stop you. None of those things can stop you continually submitting your life to the risen Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thought? There's nothing, no circumstance, no sin, no demon, nothing that can separate you from God. And none of those things can stop you submitting your life in a deeper and deeper way to the work of the Holy Spirit so that you can know the full will of God for your life. Man, that's good news. That's why it's called the gospel. And remember, remember, Peter's writing this into a context where people are suffering persecution. Remember, Paul himself gets killed by Nero in AD 60. And Peter gets killed by Nero himself. And so it does get worse. This does get worse, but in, the constant, in their lives, Jesus is still king. He's still, his, his resources are still flowing from heaven. He's still empowering them so that they can live in all these times, this time that is so difficult for them. And it's the same for us. We have that same resurrection power that comes and enables us to live. And lastly, Peter reminds them that it's through Jesus that all of us as disciples live a holy life through faith, and through hope in God. Verse 21 finishes by saying that Jesus has been given this glorious position so that our faith and hope are in God. That's what he says. And so we get this precious gift as we come to God as our Father. We get this precious gift of His love, and we are able to go on trusting Him. The Father gives us this amazing gift of His love, and we're able to love Him, Because Jesus has brought us into relationship with Him. We are able to put our trust and our confidence and our hope in Him. And so when we speak as Christians of having a confident hope in God, we mean by that, that means that we can have this confident expectation that God will always be with us in every circumstance and through every trial. He is always there. We have this confident expectation and hope. How many of you can look back on the last two years and say, even though things have been really difficult, you can testify and say that in the midst of these things, God has been with you. You've known that. I can, I can say that with all of my heart. Amen? There's this confident expectation that we can have as Christians that whatever comes, God is with us through every trial and every circumstance. And so there's a certain expectation as well that whatever we do for God here on earth will be preserved for us, and one day it's going to be part of that glorious inheritance that we have in terms of our future. And so this is the gospel. (laughs) 
that you will experience some difficulty. You will experience some trial. You will experience some trouble as you live for Christ in these times. And the last couple of years have shown us all that in a very practical way. But in the midst of that, you are still an heir together with Jesus. What an amazing thought. That all that has been bought by Jesus is yours. And Peter is encouraging us all as Christians. We live with one eye on that. It's not that we, would, we don't want to be effective here on earth. But we, we don't let this, this earth take all of our focus and all of our expectation. Because actually it's not the final goal that God has for us. Our final goal is to be with Him. And so we live effectively on earth here by what we do now. But uh, we have one eye on what is still to come. And the glory that is still to come. And that's why it's, we, we use this language in the Christian faith is that we walk by faith. We walk by what we cannot see. We still not have yet seen the fullness of the glory that is to come. But our one, we have one eye on that. And that motivates us. That encourages us to live when things are tough now. And uh, I love uh, this scripture in Revelation 21.11. It says, uh, it's talking about the precious... Um, glory that is to come. It says, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. And so there's this picture that John paints of the glory that is to come, like this radiant jewel that just shines its light everywhere for all people to see. And so, my friends, I want to encourage you. That's what awaits us, and we keep our eye, one eye, on that as we learn to live through difficulty right now. And um, next week I want to look at the second half of these verses. I didn't want to do it all in one hit because it would be too long. But there's, there's a fourth motivation that Peter gives us for living a godly life. Do you notice what it is? Let me just read it to you, and you can reflect on, re reflect on it this week yourself. Now that you have, uh, verse 23, Verse 22, now that you have been purified, have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. That's the fourth motivation that Peter gives us for living a holy life. You have been born again. And what God has done inside of you can never be taken away. It's not like a seed that perishes and fades and dies. It is an imperishable seed. It is life that will never die. And what God has done inside of you by making you be born again by the power of the Spirit, nothing can take that away. Nothing can take that life from you. And that's an incredible motivation for us to know that we can do this by the power of the Spirit. Whatever life throws at us, we can endure and live for His glory and for His kingdom. We're going to look at that in more detail next week. Let me land on this, remind you again. Through Him, you believe. Jesus has made it possible for you to know God as your Father. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. This is the great joy that we have as believers, that we can know God our Father through faith in Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, I want to thank you so much for what you've done through your Son. Well, thank you, Lord, for your grace that's poured out on our lives. Well, thank you, Lord, for salvation that's made possible because of Jesus. Thank you that he brings us to you as our Father. And Lord, I want to pray this morning for every single person here in this meeting, those that are watching online. We want to thank you for your grace poured out. We sang about it this morning, this amazing grace that has brought us into relationship with our Father. And perhaps there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that doesn't know God as their Father. Perhaps there's someone watching online that doesn't know Jesus. Scripture says it's, it's a very simple thing to be saved. All we have to do is believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths. And we immediately are born again on the inside. And we are able to begin to know and have relationship with our Father. And so perhaps if you don't know Jesus, I, I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. You can just uh, pray this now with me if you'd like to respond. And there's great celebration in heaven, great joy in heaven every time someone comes to know their Father. And so I want to pray with you. And if you want to repeat after me as we um, close this meeting this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you that I am your child. I want to put my trust in you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I pray that your life-giving spirit would come and dwell within me. I pray that you begin to change me and transform me to become more and more like you. I thank you that through you, I can know God is my Father. And that your spirit enables me to live in a way that pleases you. And so I simply ask this morning that you'd come and dwell within me by the power of your spirit and transform me to become more and more like your son. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Everyone says, Amen.